But I think if you if you're really going to read literature and really try and push yourself into new genres and exploring things that um, are outside your comfort zone, you have to trust other people. And I knew that this book had just won so many awards. It came recommended by two friends who'd never steered me wrong. And so I knew there has to be something there and I'm just not ready to see it now. And I think it's also important that readers admit that when they're just not ready or outclassed by a book. Everybody, welcome to Upper Middle Brow, and we're trying something a little different. We're calling it a digression. Uh, it's a mini-sode or mini-episode. Our friend Lindsay Lejoie, who you heard talking about summer reading recommendations for teens back in June, posted an interesting reaction to our last episode, which was the first half of William Gibson's Neuromancer. We'll be doing the second half later this week, but we thought we'd take a few minutes and chat with Lindsay about her reaction and our reaction to her reaction. So that's what you'll hear. It's a pretty short conversation, but Lindsay expressed something about the social dimension of reading that has really stuck with me. So let's just get right into it. Here is Lindsay. Yeah, I, well, I saw your uh, post about it when you guys did the podcast, and I think my reaction started with, oh my God, this book. Um, and I want to, before I even say my reaction, kind of defend myself a little bit here. I didn't finish the book, and that's actually a really big deal for me, because even if I'm not enjoying a book, I, I'm pretty meticulous in the books that I, I pick out, and I'm pretty committed to reading them. And even if I hate them, I could really get on board with a hate read. Like I really enjoy a good hate read and I'll just flip it angrily all the way to the end. Um, so this was the first time I, I DNF'd a book in a couple, a couple years. So it was just wait, you just breathed. You breathed. Yeah, I took end. a breath. No, I no, I breathed. You uh <laughs> sorry, I thought I thought I was speaking millennial. Uh <laughs> you breathed did not finish for people who don't know that acronym. Oh, what I'm is, so sorry. What yeah. is brevd? Brevd is a brev for abbreviated. How deep can the abbreviations go? It's just I'm abbreviations I'm, I'm, all I'm the way the down. I'm a millennial translator. I'm translating Jeez, can, from can you can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> uh, I just brevd uh no wait. Um uh Lindsay just brevd did not finish to us. Mm. is a sentence that is both true and an example can we can we can do you think we can launch like a version of this for acronymed i just nimmed that what is nim sorry oh yeah no it's a good idea yeah Yeah. breving and nimming are very similar so we can name it now i have heard now so i think Lindsay, you are a millennial we are both we are young (laughs) xers i so i've heard both the pronunciation brev and breve uh, do you have a preference? I like uh, no, this this is fascinating. This is almost kind of like old man yells at cloud. I've never this is, heard. This is fast. <laughs> fascinating. I've like never heard any of this. Um, you've never you've never nev- no. heard of a brev. <laughs> this is getting so bad though. You didn't oh, you didn't man. know about brevs? No, brev. <laughs> no cat. You can't you can't brev no. You this can't. So it's painful. it's hard to brev one syllable words. Yeah, is shaking one's head a brev? 
<laughs> you don't. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting deep we're tonight. Like, we're like yeah. one step away from Heidegger. Yeah. I, I'm I I appall for interrupting. I jize for interrupting. Um Erru- so, interrupting. So continue with your DNF store E. So, anyways, I DNF'd it. And um I want to say I got probably two-thirds of the way through. So I was able to follow that whole first half of the reaction with your your guys' first part of the podcast, which is fascinating. I was really interested in the brief discussion of pronouns. But that aside, I I agreed with both of you in terms of everything you were saying. Like, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, Jesse, you know, you're you're wrong. I just was fascinated that you came to that con- conclusion. I mean, at every point that you both made, I was right on board with it. But I really agreed with Chris that this was the parable of the bad dungeon master. To me, reading Neuromancer was like um, two two different things. There's this Italian song from the 1970s, and I forget the singer's name. I want to say it's like Adriano silano or something like that and the song itself is gibberish but it's constructed in a way that mimics the syntax and the cadence and the phonetics of english american english kind of like james brown so you listen to it and your brain is just disoriented it keeps trying to grab it and make sense of it because it sounds like english but it's not it's just gibberish I, i used to play this in ap psychology when we would do language because it allows english speakers to experience what English sounds like as a foreign language. That's what reading Neuromancer was like. I I know these are words and I know these are sentences, but nothing is getting absorbed or coming through. It it was as though every third sentence got deleted from that novel. And there was this hop skipping narrative that if you just kind of squinted a little bit, Mm, you could put mm -hmm, together. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think Jesse, you said you'd read it. This was your third time reading it. And so I was listening to you and I'm like, wow, this, there's so much that I just didn't get. But that's the thing is I'm, if, if you have to read a book three times to get it, I think that's, that's one time too many, two I'll allow. Three is just too much. And I couldn't even do one. And I was so burned by that. I really felt defeated. I, I mean, I made it through Pynchon and Pynchon tortured me with mm. a slim 125 pages or something. And I think I got to about page 150 of Neuromancer. And I just, I had nothing. It was like trying to pick up water and it's just slipping out of your hands. I'm like, I got nothing here. So I, I put it down. So I think the song that you're talking about, I'm going to just quickly try to, I I think I know what you're talking about. And it goes something like, Okay. Yeah. And he's like the music video. He's in a classroom of kids yeah. uh, or adults. And they're all doing this really awkward, like, yeah, I can do exactly it. it. I do this with French. I'll be like, and, but I can't, it's harder for me to do it with English, but I know, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Well, so Lindsay, I I have a confession. Um, your uh post about Neuromancer gave me permission to get to my reading of the book, um, because you had put your post up about Neuromancer before we had, did our our piece on it, and I read it, and there I just remember the section of your post that was like, there are things that happen in this book 
William Gibson isn't interested in telling you what those things are. <laughs> and it was, and I, I am, I'm generally a fairly credulous sort. Um, and that's, that's, that's kind of the role. Jesse and I talked about that at one point, uh, as a journalist, he is trained in great questions and skepticism. And is this working? And as a coach, like my job is to be like, everything's great. Like, let's, you know, like, like, let's turn this negative into a positive somehow. Bill, you're good at obfuscation. You just like, <laughs> yeah. you've got a reality there, but nobody understands it. And that's your and you're, superpower. You're you need doing to really well at it. Yeah. And I, and I read your post and I was like, you know what? Just because it's a published novel with like a long history of ardor doesn't mean that I have to just kind of like go along with it. And 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 my memory of reading it the first time when I was 17 was like, I'm entranced by this world, but I really don't know what's happening. I thought that in this reading that would change. And and like you said, I just I feel like I, I have a better sense of what happened in this novel than I did the first time I read it. But I felt like I was watching it through like a dark lens. Mm. Um, like I like I just I couldn't I couldn't get there. You know, like there was something excluding me from it, sort of the way that you're talking about that every like third sentence had been removed from it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I am, I, I probably will read it a third time to see if it, see if it is the third time's a charm with it. But yeah, so your, your post is the thing that, um, that, that sent me in the direction of the reading I ended up with. Oh, that is good to know. Yeah. It's always a, almost an anxiety you know, are we allowed to criticize the greats? And I was actually very excited to read Neuromancer because it's it cast such a shadow. And I had also just finished Fall of Hyperion. So I, I'm not averse to the cyberpunk genre. I mean, that's- with, with Cowboy Gibson as a sort of cameo, right? Right. Like there's no, a, like a little the... mini Neuromancer in the middle of, of Hyperion. Yeah. And mini for Hyperion is like 300 pages. So, I mean, I was on board for the cyberpunk plot. I'm here for it. And so when I actually finally picked it up, um, it really definitely felt like a, the emperor has no clothes moment, mm. which I, if I recall, I even, I think I, I used this on some criticism of another author who I know Jesse's very fond of, so I will not mention the name. <gasps> I'm, I'm intrigued now. Oh, I think I, I, I think I know, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. We had a, like a, a friendly disagreement on, on, on your bookstagram. Um, yeah. Uh, well, no, we'll talk about that one later. I mean, so so my reaction here is that I I am empathetic and sympathetic to both of you, and it I'm a little bit I'm wondering what's going on that gave me a little more ability to overcome the thing that you're talking about because I definitely think it's there, uh, and but you know there's there's I I think that. Gibson does provide most or all of the information you need, but I think it's hard to pay attention to what is the relevant information and what's not, because there's a lot of stuff that he's kind of throwing out at you. And and I often miss subtext and I often miss stuff. I was listening back, Chris, to our uh, third or fourth episode about the talented Mr. Ripley. And I remember being like, oh, I read this before. This time I read it. I think there is maybe a very subtle subtext that Tom Ripley is gay. 
And then listening back to it, I'm like, subtext. You, you know, like, <laughs> like that. It took me two reads to figure out that 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 is what uh, you know the author intended. And I think that maybe I have a weakness when it comes to emotional subtext, but maybe I'm a little bit of a super reader when it comes to like sci-fi scenario. That there's mm. there's that there's some part of my brain that's just like geared to figuring things out, and that you know uh, with. We can say it, right? It's China Mielville. Like with China Mielville and the city in the city, I think part of the reason that I feel like I understood the analogy he was making is I had probably already thought about that analogy. And I think that sometimes happens with sci-fi is that s- some writer taps into some like late night dorm room philosophy idea that you've already sort of thought and they sort of like make a whole book out of it. And you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that, and I think maybe that's what's going on with Neuromancer. But I don't, I don't fully understand it. Only to say is like I don't want to deny that the obfuscatory nature of this book is there. I do also think that he does tuck in the midst of all the various like bits of style and language the key to understanding what's actually happening. And it's hard to pick it up. And for some reason, maybe the first time I read it, there was enough like stuff that would appeal to the 18 year old version of me. I mean, apparently that happened with you too, Chris, which is like, I don't fully understand the plot, but there's like a girl with like mirror shade eyes and razor knives and sex. And like, (laughs) you know, uh, space, you know, drugs. drugs you know and like that ninjas kind of, that ninjas yes and that like rastas, rastas and that, those things like get you through and then you get to the other side of it and um all all of this to say is like in our actual podcast episode i do a close reading of uh the faulkner book the light in august and a part of uh neuromancer that i think similarly there is like it, it there are a few sentences where you're given the clues, but man, they are hard to pick up and you wouldn't necessarily pick them up unless somebody, unless there was some kind of external, like this is a good book. You should pay really close attention, you know, like unless you had somebody pointing directly at that. So I think that's going on. And I don't know, there's a dilemma there because that should not have to happen. And yet there is a great reward when it happens. So you can hear more of that discussion anyway in our actual episode. But um, anyway, for the record, Lindsay, like I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that like as a reader, I overcame the thing that you're talking about in a way that I found satisfying somehow. Yeah, no. And, and that's the thing is I don't disagree with anything you're saying. And that was the framework for this is I could not overcome it. And, you know, what's funny, too, is you guys focus so much on the, the character of Case and his development or non-development and passivity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was fun. none of that bothered me at all. Oh, really? you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't need characters who grow. I don't need them to be good people or anything like that. I don't care if things are happening around them. And they're like, you just Gosh. didn't get the world. Yeah, you know, it wasn't even the world, because as soon as you start reading it, you flash to Blade Runner. And so <laughs> anything that oh, you can't. Yeah, well, you could just immediately have that architecture to help you build from in your mind. It was the writing. It was just, I don't want to say bad, because that feels bad to say. It feels bad to call 
an author a tell bad... the truth. I mean, tell the truth. If it's bad, I mean, lots of people disagree. So if you find it to be bad writing, then well, you know, I'm not going to say it was bad writing because there were moments that were really well, especially hearing you read some of it out loud. That was what really gave me the impetus of like, oh, neuromancer, I'll go back to you. Not soon, but I will. I think it was just a bad narrative construction. Like I would say that his skills are fine, but his ability to actually construct a working text as a novel wasn't there mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, I yeah, I, I think I mean it's 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 so a twenty four year old's novel. He's thirty two. You know, he was thirty. Was he thirty two? I thought he was twenty. I thought yeah, but still like first novel, young hasn't written a novel yet like so... is the new 24 of course it is. yeah yeah it's all it's all it's you know it, it doesn't it's all dada um but, but we uh, we both did think it improved in the second half yeah and um, there, you know there are sections of like there are some like really lyrical sections um and then there's some there's a there's one there's one section that we did a close reading on that's just a series of clunkers you know? Chris gets very English teachery on this one section. Oh, it's I'm, ex I'm I excited. I think you will enjoy it, Lindsay. Uh, yeah, I, I would... the best part is I haven't read it, so I get to just show up and be like, "Let's go." Oh yeah, Let's that's just tell me what's in the second half of this book. I've a, I I want to give uh, Lindsay a chance to kind of chat as we're starting to wrap up. I've I've two I've uh, at least one question for her. You said that it will be a while before you pick it up again and try again. Um, what do you think will be the thing that gets you over the hump to pick up the book again? Um, for me, it's the trust in other readers, which I think is um, a fundamental part. If you define yourself as a reader, I mean, books are such a, a huge part of my life and you just don't have the time to vet every book yourself. So confession, I put down the fifth season the first time I started it. Couldn't get into the world. There was the first person, or not first person, the second person narration. It's just not working for me. So I set it aside. But I think if, you, if you're really going to read literature and really try and push yourself into new genres and exploring things that um, are outside of your comfort zone, you have to trust other people. And I knew that this book had just won so many awards. It came recommended by two friends who'd never steered me wrong. And so I knew there has to be something there. And I'm just not ready to see it now. And I think it's also important that readers admit that when they're just not ready or outclassed by mm. a book. Yeah. So um, the thing for me of why will I come back to it? It's it I think is it's got to have something that has stood the test of time to have had the influence it has had. And I'm willing to admit that I probably just wasn't ready to see it in this reading. And oftentimes it's, you know, turning to podcasts and listening to what are people saying about this or let me. Let me go to Reddit and just experience the text. Like, thanks, Reddit. That's really helpful. You know, so I'll I'll find the right um, gateway and I'm just going to try a different door into the text because I just ran right at it and I just hit a wall. So I think maybe next summer when I come around to my third summer of sci-fi, I'll, I'll slip it back in there and be like, okay, round two, here we go. Jesse, I have a, I have a, I have a question for you that might help Lindsay get back into it. I I think Blade Runner is like cyberpunk adjacent, but I don't think it's like this because like you and I, you know, you got you 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 recognize the world from Cyberpunk the game. I recognize the world from Shadowrun the game, which I think are much closer in mood and atmosphere than Blade Runner is. Can you think of a different work of like a different movie? 
that would be a helpful way in that's more cyberpunky than Blade Runner? Oh, that's a movie. I mean, well, I, you know, you can't suggest Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> the Matrix is philosophically treading the same ground about what's real and what's not real. Um, a movie. Um, Man, well, the movie I would suggest is W is John uh, uh, Raoul Walsh's High Sierra. You know the the um you know to me the story is this old like crime noir. You know um it it with a lot of slang and again like sort of like it's like I mean to me it reminds our um Les Doulots by Jean Pierre Mel Melville like. To me, it reminds me of watching a French noir where the characters are speaking in sort of like criminal slang and um, they're not they're vulnerable, but they're not showing a lot of themselves. But then ultimately loyalty becomes, oh, we lost Chris. Oh, no. <laughs> Lindsay, you're still there. Is Chris there? I don't see him. Uh oh. Well, it, we'll give him a minute to come back. Um, weird that I just care, compared Neuromancer to Lay Dulot. I had no idea that question was coming, but um, I think it holds up. Have you ever watched? I believe that China Mielville took his. And it's funny that you brought up noir because, again, not to run back to Hyperion or fall off Hyperion, but that's yeah. that's the whole cyberpunk plot is you have the noir detective, hard boiled tracking, yep. tracking down the techno core. So yeah, I've been there. I've been there. I'll go back yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, but it is, I think your point that you made earlier was really, really important is that they're probably um, the social aspect of reading is actually really important and that there are writers who I have certainly given another chance to, or books I've given another chance to because of somebody I trusted's recommendation or because they're in the literary canon. And sometimes it makes me worry about those writers who didn't make it, but also might be worth going back to. You know, that there might be books out there that that would also reward a third reading in a similar way. But nobody's not enough people are clamoring for that. And, and they sort of miss that. Chris, are you with us? I'm back. I don't know what happened. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know the movie that you recommended, though. I'm Les sure Dula, our listeners do. Jean-Pierre Melville uh, made he made Le Samurai. Um, uh, he 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 made a bunch of films in the fifties and nineteen sixties in in France, um, that are mostly told from the criminal's perspective, uh, and and you know there's two kinds of noir, right? There's detective noir and there's criminal noir, mm -hmm. and um and they're they're you know they're all about these sort of tough, um, not very expressive characters for whom sentimentality becomes their greatest weakness as they're trying to pull off crimes. And I, you know, I think there's a, a little slice of that in Neuromancer, but I think, I mean, I agree. Neuromancer is trying to do too many things. So it has that, but has a lot of other stuff going on. Um, well, you all can hear uh, how Jesse and I came down on the book's second half in our upcoming episode, which is due out this Thursday. Uh, you can find that at uppermiddlebrow.com or your favorite podcast app. Lindsay Lejoie uh, runs a bookstagram page called Lejoie de Literature, L-A-J-O-I-E underscore D-E underscore literature. 
Uh, it is full of great book recommendations, impressions from reading, and super impressive photography. It looks great. You should all go listen to it and follow. Thanks, guys. That's really nice. Oh, I really appreciate that about the photography. The uh, iPhone's been broke for many months now, so every photo is just slightly cocked to the side. Wouldn't know it. Very artistic. Seems Wouldn't intentional. Yes. Wouldn't know it. Lindsay, it's so great to see you. Uh, thanks uh, for doing this with us, and hopefully we'll do something again. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for being here. Upper Middle Brow is a small point production. Chris Bagg and Jesse Dukes are the creators and producers. Music by Ben Pajak and Jesse Dukes. Design and website by Chris Bagg. You can learn more about us at uppermiddlebrow.com. And Chris and I are both writers and editors and can help you with your writing, podcasting, or editing project. You can see some of our portfolios and learn more at our respective websites, chrisbagg.com and jessedukes.com. Hey everybody, just one more thing. I wanted to let you know that I, Jesse, will be doing stand-up comedy in Chicago coming up on Saturday, September the 30th at 6 p.m. at the Lincoln Lodge Theater. That's in Logan Square. The show is called Menace to Sobriety, but you can totally be sober and come to the show. It's just a funny name. Um, and if you search for Menace to Sobriety Lincoln Lodge, you should find the information. It's $15, and it is a fundraiser for the Lincoln Lodge, and it includes Susie Ahn, who you heard a few episodes ago talking about the Space Between Worlds, uh, and a number of other comedians who all started by taking stand-up comedy classes at the Lincoln Lodge. So it's a really great group. Uh, if you hear this and decide to come, be sure to find me and say hi and let me know that you heard about it on Upper Middle Brow. That would be really, really fun. I'll probably be hanging around uh, afterwards. They have a little like bar area. All right, hope to see you out there Saturday, September 30th, Lincoln Lodge, Chicago's Logan Square. Menace to Sobriety is the thing to search for to buy tickets. <laughs> <laughs>